Well, was that tremendous or what? Huh? Just, just again, huh? I told you you'd be encouraged if you came back. It's just amazing to me. Um, just all the work that the kids put in and you parents put in with your children. It's just, and obviously other workers. Um, I'm just going to name them again. Adam and Abby Smith, Brittany Ferrofino, Michael Williams, uh, Sam Vine, Micah Morgret, uh, Jackson Morgret, Carl Ransom, Kenny and Rachel uh, Mosier. We're just thankful for them. Um, we're blessed uh, that they work so hard and blessed to have this ministry here in our fellowship. And again, I just want to reiterate, 12 doctrinal themes, and there are 10 key truths under each of those doctrinal themes. And each child reviews 120 truths uh, four times as they move through the different levels. And uh, key truths becoming more in-depth with each level. And the students, again, not only memorizing God's Word, but then learning how to apply it into their lives and helping, again, the ministry, helping uh, these kids know what they believe and why they believe it. I'm going to give you the just the 12 uh, doctrinal themes. <clears throat> it's broken up into two years. Uh, God's Word in the Bible, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the Trinity, God's creation, God's view of you. Year two is God's law, Jesus Christ, God's gift of salvation, God's purpose for his children, God's work past, present, and then God's <clears throat> excuse me, plan for the future. So make sure you personally uh, thank each one of these uh, individuals that's a part of that uh, ministry. Because, uh, again, it's tremendously uh, vital for our uh, fellowship, tremendously vital for our children. It's been a good day, right? Told you it would be, right? We had God's Word open in the morning. We had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper together. Then we had the opportunity to see uh, eight new members come to the fellowship and then uh, got to witness three baptisms. And tonight we're going to take a meal uh, together, uh, I think, outside on the lawn right after the fellowship here, or right after our time together and have some fellowship. Uh, it's been great having Thomas and Caitlin here, so we're thankful for them. Continue to pray for them and pray how God might be leading them. Thomas is going to lead men's ministry tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, right behind uh, me. And so you make sure you be a part of that. And then Thomas and Caitlin are going to be part of the, one of the small groups on Wednesday night. And then also remember uh, Ian and Lauren's uh, wedding, if you can, if you can attend that on Saturday at 2 p.m. here at the church. So it's been a wonderful day. Um, and what I want to do... Um, is addressed just real briefly training up of our children and how important that is uh, again it's vital for the next generation of righteousness to continue uh, to be um, to go forward in, into this world so i want you to take your bible and real quick i want you to turn to the book of ephesians ephesians chapter 6 ephesians 6 verse 1 is where i'll start i will um <clears throat> kind of hone in on verse 4 <clears throat> ephesians 6 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Verse 4, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. One of the versions says, or nurture and admonition. There, there's an old Chinese proverb, and perhaps you've heard it or read it or seen it someplace along the way. It says, One generation plants the trees, and the others get the other. Uh, another gets the shade. In uh, our, our generation and, and our lives, the, uh, the the shade of many trees that were planted uh, by our ancestors uh, we enjoy, right? We live in that shade. And if you transfer that over to uh, a spiritual terms, uh, we reap the benefits or the spiritual shade, if you will, of our parents, our, our grandparents, uh, their standards of right and wrong, their sense of morality, their sense of duty. 
uh, and more than anything else, their spiritual commitment. Uh, their ideals uh, determine the kind of civilization, or civilization that we uh, inherit from them, and our, and our generation likewise will shape the next generation, tomorrow's culture and tomorrow's children. Uh, we spoke about this often, the fact that our, uh, our uh, culture is obviously in rapid decline, uh, it's disintegrating everywhere around us, morally and ethically, and above all, spiritually. Uh, the rebellion, the lawlessness, the debauchery, the selfishness, the greed, the dishonesty uh, that's accepted and promoted in our culture it is a direct result of the previous generations abandoning the Word of God. Uh, as our society is currently engaged in an all-out war, uh, waging war on biblical truth, our society, listen, our society is now reaping what it has failed to sow. Our society is reaping the harvest of what it has failed to sow in the life of its children. It's failed to sow righteousness. It's failed to sow biblical standards and biblical truth and biblical morality. And now the society is reaping the disaster of that failure. And it's seen in the exaltation of unrighteousness and the criminalization of all that is righteous, along with the total destruction of the family, which is the very foundation of society. After God created the man and the woman, he ordained marriage. He brought Adam and Eve together uh, and commanded that they would be fruitful and multiply. So he is the one, God is the one who established the home. And within that home, there are responsibilities and principles that each uh, family member has to be carried out in that setting. And again, the foundation of the society is our home. The home is foundationally important for society, and the relationships therein uh, also absolutely fundamental. So in that home setting, it's absolutely imperative that they function the way that God has ordained for them. Because as the home goes, society goes. As God has designed the family again to be the foundational element of society. And if the family crumbles as an institution, then all civilization will ultimately crumble, uh, crumble along with it. And that's, again, exactly what we're seeing all around us. The home and the family continue to deteriorate, and therefore so does our society. Because when relationships in the home don't function properly, it has a devastating effect on everything, not only in the home, but in society around us. That's why Satan spends so much time, as he does, trying to infiltrate and destroy the family and try to destroy the relationships there. If he can destroy the family, then he can destroy the entire society around it. Because, again, the home is the place where righteousness and holiness is learned and then put into practice. And if righteousness and holiness are not taught in the home, then, again, you're most certainly not going to see it in society. Again, that's why Satan works hard at attacking the husband and wife relationship, that he works hard at encouraging and promoting demand, uh, divorce on demand for any reason or for no reason at all. That's why he encourages uh, the woman to, uh, with children to work outside the home so they don't have much of a, as much of a godly influence on their children as they could. That's why Satan spends so much time attacking the relationship between the children and parents and overturning authority and encouraging disorder and rebellion on all levels. The alarming collapse of discipline at all levels around us, increased lawlessness, the lack of respect, it's rampant everywhere. And along with that, the fact that our children are becoming angrier and angrier. It's related to the fact that our children are not being properly reared up in the home. Now, while you obviously don't want to give Satan too much credit, the truth is he's doing a pretty good job of, with his destructive methodologies. Because, again, we're living in a time where evil seems to be running its course unhindered. And, again, there, as there's a breakdown in society and a breakdown in our civilization, we have to recognize the fact that that breakdown begins in the home. That's the foundational level. The home, again, the very building block of our society. 
And if Satan, and of course Satan knows that, he does what he does intentional, with uh, great intentionality, because his plan is just to disrupt and upset God's plan for righteousness to be passed on from one generation to another. But where you see a traditional nuclear family, we have a strong, reliable, God-honoring father and a mother whose priority is the home and the children, where there's an intentionality to train up the children in righteousness and holiness, where there's an understanding about what the Bible teaches about the family and the various roles within the family, at least there's an opportunity to hold back some of the corruption, some of the corruption of the culture, and there's an opportunity also in that setting to address the internal corruption that is within each child's heart because of the fall of Adam that, again, can't be overturned apart from Christ. So we want to do our best as parents and grandparents. Uh, we, we want to do our best to provide some spiritual shade, as it were, for our children and for their children. We want to plant some spiritual trees, uh, if you will, that will shape the future generation that is uh, enduring under this blistering heat of an anti-God, anti-Christ world system that we are a part of. We most certainly don't want to leave our, our children exposed. That's why it's important to, again, be committed to the training up of our children God's way according to God's truth as he lays it out in his word. Now again, for the family to work as God designed, everybody in the family has to humble themselves one under the lordship of Christ. Wives have to submit themselves or subject themselves to their husbands and to the leadership. And then husbands have to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. And both husband and wife should be submitting themselves to the Lord's leading, both constantly being filled by the person of the Holy Spirit. And then together fulfilling their responsibility as parents to train up their children. And children have a responsibility, obviously, to obey and honor their parents. And godly parents are, again, vital for the home to function as God intended. But a great deal of the responsibility falls with the father. Right? The one who must not only love his wife as Christ has loved the church, but he must love their children and recognize their children as a gift from God. He must not abdicate his responsibility for Christ-like leadership in the home. And he must train up his children in the home. So again, look there at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline or the training, the nurture, instruction, or admonition of the Lord. This is the God-given responsibility of the father. To, with Christ-like love, fulfill the role of the servant that God has ordained you to fulfill, to, to train up your children in godliness and in holiness, to teach them the truth about God, to teach them the truth about God's law, to demand that they would obey you and they would obey God. Teach them the truth about who they are before this holy God, that the only uh, uh, appropriate response is confession of sin and repentance by trusting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the command of God for the Father. Now, the principles of training up children really isn't that complicated. We uh, make it complicated. We read a whole lot of books and go to a whole lot of seminars that completely make the thing completely uh, somewhat uh, overwhelming and unmanageable, but it's not very complicated. I'll give you three truths, and these can be truths that will help you uh, guide your home. Truths that are clearly set forth in the Word of God. Number one, constantly teach your kids the truth. Right? Constantly teach your kids the truth of God's Word. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, Israel, the Lord your God. Uh, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk when you sit in your houses and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontals on your forehead. When should you teach your kids the truth? Always. Always. It should be the forefront, the constant conversation. Every opportunity in life provides you an opportunity to teach something concerning the word of God. 
Constantly teach your kids the truth of God's word. Number two, discipline when discipline them when they do wrong or refuse to obey. Discipline them. Proverbs twenty three uh, uh, thirteen. Do not hold back discipline from a child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. Kids have one responsibility. Kids don't have to go to work. Kids don't have to pay the mortgage. Kids don't have to make sure the uh, bills are paid. Kids don't have to do... They all have one responsibility, and that's obeying. And I cannot encourage you more as a parent. You need to teach your kids to obey the first time. If you bought into this one, two, three nonsense, I'm serious, Johnny, you better obey. You are doing your child a disservice. All disobedience to you has nothing to do with you. All disobedience to you has to do with disobedience to God. They have one command from God, that's obey their parents. Honor them. When I disciplined my kids when they were younger, it wasn't a personal issue, although sometimes in my sinfulness it became a personal issue. But it really wasn't a personal issue. Like when a police officer pulls you over, you've sped, you're, you're speeding, you're going against the law, you've broken the law. It's not a personal issue for, for him. He's just enforcing the law. You enforce the law. You demand your children obey you. Because I guarantee you, there will come a time in your life when you tell your child to stop, and they better stop. Because the next step, they'll run right out in front of a truck. And then you can take all your little books that you've been reading about one, two, three, Johnny, and timeouts and all that kind of nonsense and uh, uh, throw them in the trash because they're, they're useless. Make them obey. Teach them obey. Command them obey. When they do wrong, when they refuse to obey, discipline them. And God has given them a good place, right, to apply the board of education to the seat of knowledge, right? It's what the Bible says. Number three, don't provoke them to anger, right? Teach your kids the truth of God's word always. Demand that they obey you and discipline them when they don't. And don't provoke them to anger. It, we'll see it here again in uh, Ephesians 6, 4, but you can also read of it in Colossians 3 and 21. Now again, look, child, that's it. I mean, if you're expecting like a whole bunch more, I don't have any more. Uh, child, child rearing doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be consistent. Consistent. As our children are not a hardship on us, but they are a blessing. That's who God intended for them to be, a blessing to us. Our children are a gift from the Lord. Don't buy into that they're a difficulty. Uh, but that's the world mindset. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak their, in their, with uh, their enemies at the gate. I mean, children are supposed to be enjoyed. Again, God's gift, God's gift in our life in a fallen world. They're a means of grace. They're a means of fulfillment, a means of happiness and satisfaction. And we, as God's people, have a great privilege of training them up, training up the next generation of godly young men and godly young women. Right? When they arrive, that's the way we normally see them, right? They're a tremendous blessing. Everybody has a party and celebrates it and et cetera and so forth. And they're not seen as a hardship when they show up usually. But if we leave them exposed without shade, if we leave them exposed to this world and to its corruption, unshaded again by the proper kind of biblical protection, then you can be guaranteed they'll break your heart. It's not complicated. If you don't train them up, they'll break your heart. 
Fathers, don't, provide, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and destruction of the Lord. So if you fail to consistently do that, if you fail to intentionally train up your child in the fear and the discipline of the Lord, not only will they be given over to their own depravity, but they'll be absolutely swallowed up by this godless, Christless, satanic culture. As they're being dramatically, drastically influenced by the satanic world system. I don't care what age you are in this room. I guarantee you the kids that were just on this platform are going to be or in the process of being bombarded by much more information than any of us ever dreamt of. Everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody's got internet access. Everybody's hearing all kinds of stuff. They're being bombarded by a satanic world system. They're listening to and receiving things that they are not either intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually ready to receive, process, or respond to properly. We talked about this a week or so ago. Some of the things that we're seeing in the world today, some of us, I was talking to someone in the room who told me they didn't know anything about homosexuality until they went to college. And that was years ago. And now it's everywhere, and it's intentional. There's a bombardment. So there's an external and an internal makeup uh, that has to be addressed. There are factors that have to be addressed uh, that make uh, uh, um, treating up children a difficult task, but nevertheless, it's a task that we've been given. It's a task that we have to fulfill with the Lord's help, a, a task with great stakes, uh, uh, with uh, great issues at stake. Because again, the only hope for the preservation of the righteousness for the truth of God being passed off from one generation to the next generation is for us to train up our children to be obedient, to honor their parents and honor the Lord, to overcome the sinful tendencies of their heart and then be obedient to everything that the Lord commands them to do to reject the perverse culture around them that is encouraging them to rebellion and all kinds of unrighteousness. All through my kids' uh, schooling, when we homeschooled them to begin with and at various ages we put them into public school. And almost every day, without um, a miss, I would always try to ask them some, a question somewhere along the lines of, when you went to school today, who encouraged you in righteousness? Give me a list. Give me their names. How many people? Well, you know the answer to that, right? Nobody. Because nobody in the world is encouraging anybody to righteousness. They're encouraging everybody to unrighteousness because they live under that satanic system. So there's a battle out there. Now, again, you can say, well, I'm just going to homeschool my kids and I'm going to lock them in a basement and never let them out, and the sisters will marry the brothers and we'll just live here until the rapture. Oh, that's good. It's probably not going to work very well for you. Right? We live in a fallen world. We have to teach our children to live in that fallen world and recognize evil, recognize righteousness, and to, to, to um, be able to navigate those uh, uh, waters that they're living in. We have to encourage them to obey God, to reject the culture. Fathers, don't, do not provoke your children to anger. Again, the primary responsibility for training up children in the home is fixed squarely on the shoulder of the fathers because he's the head of the home. Now, both parents have that responsibility to train up their children spiritually and, uh, and with wisdom, but the primary responsibility is on the, the father who's the head of the home. Where there are homes... Uh, where there is no father for whatever reason, if there's a home where there's no father whatever for whatever reason, just a mother, then fathers still have that responsibility. The other fathers in the church should come along that uh, lady and help encourage her 
step up, step in and help her to train up her children. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate them. Don't rouse them to wrath. Don't, uh, don't uh, create bitterness in their heart or animosity or conflict. Don't frustrate them. Now, no good father on one level would ever do that, right? At least a good father wouldn't intentionally seek to frustrate their children, but it happens all the time. And there are probably a number of ways in which you could do that. I'll give you just a few. If you wanted to provoke your child to anger, then you can constantly criticize them. Constantly criticize them. Number two, if you wanted to provoke your child to anger, then you could always let them know that they're not good enough. Just always tell them they could have done better if they would have just tried harder. You could provoke your children to anger if you push them towards unrealistic achievements, whether it be athletic or academic. You could provoke your children to anger if you just allow them to, if uh, you don't allow them to be kids. If you don't allow them to be kids, if you punish them when they do foolish things or silly things, right? If you expect them to be perfect always, you'll provoke your children to anger. You could provoke your children to anger, number five, by neglecting them. Leave them on their own. Let them do their own thing. Let them make their own breakfast. Set no standards. Set no boundaries. Never discipline them or correct them. Let them go their own way. Do their own thing. And then just watch and see what happens. Don't show any physical affection. Make sure you never tell your children you love them. And you'll be well on your way to provoke them to anger. You can provoke your children to anger, number six, if your discipline is too extensive or too harsh, unreasonable, either verbally or physically or emotionally. You can provoke your children to anger by showing them favoritism. You could save all of your love and affection for one child and never give it to the other children. You can make sure that you're always comparing them to the other children. Why can't you be more like Johnny? Or why can't you be more like Sally? Right? Show favoritism. And then you can provoke your children to anger by being overprotective. Again, never allow them to do anything. Make sure that they're always under your constant supervision and watch. Don't trust them. Mock their decisions. Make sure they know that you don't trust them. Never allow them to be with their friends. Never allow them to make any decisions on their own. And you'll be well on your way again to provoking your children to wrath. Now, again, nobody would intentionally do that, but at least not a good father. But again, it happens all the time. Am I crazy or what? Doesn't it happen all the time? happens always. It's easy to do. Therefore, because it's easy to do, it's something we have to be wise to avoid doing. Careful to make sure we're not a part of it. That we're not a part of exasperating our children so that they don't lose heart. We don't want them to become discouraged. We don't want them to feel like giving up. We we don't want our children to become angry by the way we treat them. We we don't want to make it difficult for them to obey us. So those are the number of things that you could do that... uh, you uh, should not do, but let me give you some things that you would be on a positive side, things that you could do to help encourage your children. Number one, when you deal with your children, make sure you're always under the control of the Holy Spirit. Right? Make sure you're always under the control of the person of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're under his power and direction, then you produce his fruit. And his fruit, according to Galatians 5 and 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When you're the control of the person of the Holy Spirit, then you can deal with your children in a way that's always marked by love and grace and proper gentleness. If you don't want your kids to lose heart when you deal with them, number two, then make sure you're consistent. Make sure you're consistent. Don't give yourself to sudden changes of mood or behavior. Be consistent so the child knows what to expect. 
right? Be under control. Be balanced. Be predictable. And I've seen people sometimes, parents, they respond to the same issue one way, and the next time they respond to the issue like they, they've lost their mind, and the kid has no idea what to know, what to expect. Right? Be consistent. Number three, be reasonable. Be reasonable. If you want to make sure your children don't lose heart, then listen to their side of the story. Right? Don't be unreasonable. Listen, remember they're kids. They're children. Their understanding of the world and the view of the world is much different than ours is as adults. I remember one time a father told me this story that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, initially, he was quite upset by it, but the more he thought about it, he kind of understood it from the kid's view. It was when uh, he said his little son came into his room, took his watch, and walked into the bathroom, stuck it in the toilet, and flushed it. And, of course, his eyes went like that. His head split right down the middle and said, What are you doing? He was a kid. He said, Well, Dad, I just wanted to see what it looked like going down the toilet. Which may not make any sense to us, but it makes sense to a little kid. To which the dad, after he took a breath, caught his composure and said, yeah, I'd be kind of curious what it looks like going down the toilet also. Right? We've we got to be gracious with our kids. And again, understand that they're, they're just kids. They're going to make mistakes. Right? Allow them that, that uh, ability so they don't lose heart. Hear, hear their side of the story. Right? When, 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 when uh, you ask them why they, why they just did what they did, you know, if you're a parent, you know the answer in, in advance. Uh, 99% of the time, the answer is going to be, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I got that. I know you don't know, but you got to get over that. you got to start thinking about those kind of things. I think I've told you this before. With our kids at home, um, before they did or did not do something that I asked them to do, and um, before they had an opportunity to be brought to discipline, we'd always give them an opportunity to, for us to hear their side of the story. So, um, you know, if, you know we, we gave them this out, this little phrase, may I petition you. You know, I told you to do X, Y, and Z. So instead of just whacking, it was like, well, may I petition you? Let me explain to you why I didn't. And that's at least giving them an opportunity. And even in that opportunity to explain their side of the story, it's an opportunity to teach them truth of why they should have done what they should have done. Or maybe I, there's some circumstance I didn't know about. Right? So I think it's, it honors them just to let, them, let us hear their side of the story. Number four, you want to make sure your children don't lose heart, then realize they don't belong to you. That's a tough one, folks, but realize they don't belong to you. My kids don't belong to me. I'm just a steward. I'm a guardian. Uh, we have the privilege of training them, helping them, so that they one, can day, one day can serve the Lord. One day they're going to leave your home. They're leaving my home rapidly. And I just want them to serve the Lord, to honor the Lord. And if I get concerned over this issue or that issue, I say to myself, well, they're not my children. They never have been. And God loves them more than I do. If he would send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for them, I would bet he could probably correct whatever little theological glitch I think that they have in their thinking. They're not my kids. They don't belong to me. Number five, you want to make sure they don't lose heart, then make sure your discipline's not too severe. Right? Make sure your discipline's not too severe. I think I've told you this before. I've admitted to my children who are adults that at some point in their lives along the way, perhaps my discipline had been too severe, too hard with them. Now, make sure that you understand the fact it's not that they didn't earn that discipline or deserve it because they did. But if I had it to do over again, perhaps I would try to find a way to be just a little more graceful, a little more merciful, 
a little more gentle, a little less harsh with them. So as you're going through this process, and again, life's busy, and you got kids and work and pressure and stuff, try to be kinder. Try to look for opportunities to show more mercy. Try to encourage your kids to run to mercy, right, before you just bring down the hammer of discipline. And again, if you mess up, I think admitting that to your kids is helpful for the relationship that you have with them as they grow into adulthood. Number six, if you don't want your kids to lose heart, then make a big deal about anything they do well. Make a big deal about progress. Make a big deal about growth. Stop being so negative. Okay, the world's full of negative people. Stop being so negative. Again, realize they're just kids. They, they're growing in their knowledge. They're growing in their obedience. And every step forward they take, praise them, encourage them. Make a big deal about it. You got a kid who's struggling with a certain issue, and for some reason, all of a sudden, he gets it and starts doing the right thing. Throw him a party. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to go buy him a pony or something like that, but, you know, have a little celebration. Give him an extra scoop of ice cream. It's not going to matter. Because when my grandkids come to my house, I'm feeding them ice cream and cake and all the kind of candy they want. <laughs> I don't care what my kids say. Everybody knows that right up in front. So that's, you know, throw a big party for them. Celebrate their, their, their steps of obedience. Number seven, so your children don't lose heart, make sure you treat them just like God has treated you. And how has God treated you with a tremendous amount of long-suffering patience? Think about how patient and kind God has been to you in your own life. And treat your children in that same manner. Ephesians 4 and 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each one, uh, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the way we're supposed to act towards each other in the fellowship, the body of Christ. If that's the way we are to act towards each other in the church, why in the world would we not act that way in the home, especially towards our children? Teach, treat them with incredible long-suffering patience. Number eight, be fair. Again, never show favorability or partiality to one child over another. Number nine, I'll just give you the headings. Be playful. Right? Enjoy your kids. Have some fun with them. Here you go. Be in a good mood for once. Right? Enjoy them. Number ten, be present. Be present. Make sure you're spending your time with your kids. You're spending enough time with your kids at home, with your wife, with your children. You're making it a priority to be around them. Make sure that they feel like they're important to you. Spend enough time with them. Choose uh, them over work. Choose them over one of your hobbies, over another activity. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Again, it's an easy path. Don't go that way. But then the text goes on. It says this. Now on the positive side, it says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To bring them up means to nourish them to maturity. To bring them up is in the imperative mood, meaning it's a command. It's God's authoritative command addressed to every father. It's non, a non-negotiable requirement for our obedience. Bring them up. It's also in the middle voice, which means it's our personal responsibility. No one else can do this for us. So very literally, it said, fathers, you yourself do this very thing. Fathers, you yourself do it. It's your responsibility. can't be delegated to anyone else, not to the schools, not to the daycare center, not to the church, not to the grandparents, not even to mothers. And again, as thankful as we are for the Kids for Truth program, not even the Kids for Truth program. 
It's not their duty to raise up your, ch- your children. It's your duty to bring them up as a father. It's the dad's responsibility. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline means the whole training, the whole education of the child. Everything related to life. Training, instruction, discipline, correction. The cultivation of the mind, the body, the cultivation of morals. The cultivation of the soul by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. The word instruction that means admonition, exhortation, counsel, avoidance, or cessation of improper course of conduct. So the fathers have the responsibility to train up their children in every area of their lives. Mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, social. We need to be developing the entire child. So we have a tremendous responsibility before the Lord that would require for us to spend some time and some attention in this endeavor. Some forethought, some diligence, some excellence. Because again, we've been called to be the guardians, the stewards of their souls. So we have a responsibility before them and a responsibility before God. That responsibility rests with us. And again, it requires that we would handle it with the utmost diligence. So if we're going to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, that means we're going to be concerned about their actions. We're going to be concerned about what they do, what they do not do. We're going to have to consider what we say to them. We're going to have to consider the words that come out of our mouth and consider them carefully. We're going to have to make sure that our words are words of encouragement, words of hope, words of gracious reproof. We're going to have to help come alongside them and define what is right and what is wrong and then encourage them that direction, exhort them to righteousness, show them how to follow the Lord. We are not interested in raising up moral children. We're not interested in raising up moral children with good manners. You're going to have to consistently point them to Christ. And to help them become believers in Christ, they're going to have to help them see their need of Christ so that their lives are Christ-centered, their actions are Christ-honoring. And again, to do that, you're going to have to tell our children the truth about who God is, the fact that God, again, is holy, perfect, righteous, just, a God who cannot look upon iniquity, a God who will judge all sin. And then you're going to have to teach your children that they're sinners, that they all have fallen short of God's divine standard, that sin has infected the depths of their being, that they stand absolutely guilty before this holy God, and there's absolutely nothing they can do to save themselves. And death stands as objective evidence to the reality that all of us in this world are infected by this thing called sin, the disease of sin. All of us are alienated from God. And if the relationship with God is not reconciled before death comes, then they will spend eternity under God's just judgment in a place called hell. And our children need to know that, and they need to know that word. Jonathan Edwards once said this, that whenever he preached to children, he preached hell to them. He preached on hell because he said, it is easier to terrify a child than an adult by sitting before it dreadful things. Now, that's probably kind of countercultural. Well, we can't do that. We don't want our little kids to be scared. No, I guarantee you, you want your little kids to be scared. You want them to be terrified of a holy God. You want them to be terrified of the judgment that is coming for those who are not repentant and don't place their faith in Christ. Our children should be terrified of God. Our children should be terrified of eternal punishment, just like adults should be. Terrified of a holy God, terrified of eternal punishment. But children are a little bit more open to truth. Right? They're a little bit more open to truth. They're also much more susceptible to error. So you're going to have to start at a young age and teach your children. 
Let them know that God is angry with the sinner every day, and that includes them. He is angry with their sin. He will punish them eternally if they're not forgiven by faith alone in the person of Jesus Christ alone. They need to understand that. Our children need to be evangelized by us. Number three, your children need to know their only hope is the gospel. Their only hope is if they respond to the truth and they call out to God for mercy. Their only hope is if they repent from their sin, confess their sin, turn away with it, or from it, agree with God that their sinners desperately in need of a Savior, and put all of their hope, their faith, their trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ with whom their sins will be forgiven. And if they do that, if they place their faith in Christ alone and not in their own efforts, not in their own achievements or righteousness, then their sins will be forgiven. They'll no longer have a reason to fear. They can live in hope. They can live with expectant joy. So we've got to teach them about Christ. Every time I discipline my kids, it was an opportunity for me to share the gospel with them. You have disobeyed. God has commanded you to obedience. You have rebelled against God. And the reason that you can't obey is because you're a sinner and need of a Savior. Every single time. Now, some of my kids exponentially heard the gospel more than other of my kids. But they all heard the gospel. You've got to teach them about Christ. Teaching the truth, teaching about Christ, teaching about who he is, why he's come, all that he's accomplished on behalf. Again, the eternal God who became a man, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, God, a very God who came into this world out of his tremendous love that both he and his heavenly father have for a sinful humanity like us. That he put on our flesh, that he stood in our place to be our substitute. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Tell them that truth. Help them to understand that truth. Help them to understand the truth about Christ, that God has highly exalted him. Bestowed on him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee is going to bow. Those who are in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You teach them they need to know that truth, that one day they're going to bow. They're either going to bow before him as Father and, and Savior, or they'll bow before him as eternal judge before they're cast from his presence. Teach them that truth. Fathers, they have to vigorously pursue the salvation of their children. They need to hear the gospel, and they need to hear it often. Because our children can't be saved unless they hear the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And our children can't be saved until they're old enough to understand the gospel and clearly embrace it by genuine faith. Again, we're not interested in raising up moral children. We're not interested in having our kids, quote-unquote, accept Jesus. We're interested in genuine repentance, faith in Christ, an understanding of sin, an understanding of the gravity of sin, the condemnation that stands uh, before those who have not repented. Your greatest need for your child or your child's greatest need, again, is repentance, faith in Christ. Every child comes into this world with an insatiable capacity for evil. The human heart is pre-programmed for sin, selfishness, depravity. There is no neutral innocence. Every one of our children are seeking their own fulfillment for their sinful fleshly desires. Every child has been brought forth in iniquity and conceived in sin. And if you leave them to their own, they will pursue a course of sin in this life. If you leave them to their own, there's no evil to which they are incapable. And again, our interest is not behavior modification. Our, 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 our interest is not uh, increasing their self-esteem. Our, our interest is helping them see their need of regeneration. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and born of the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is of the flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. 
Don't marvel, I said this. You must be born again. It's the same thing is true, right? You have to be born again. We have to teach our children they have no capacity to please God or obey God from the heart. Born in the flesh, they're fleshly. Romans 8 and 6, the mindset in the flesh is death. The mindset in the flesh is hostile towards God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God, for it cannot. Uh, it's not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh can't please God. You can't do anything to make yourself right. Our children need to know that. Listen, if you're a father, or if you're a man in this room, and there's families in this room that don't have a father, your greatest responsibility, our greatest responsibility, is to be an evangelist to the children. Teach them the truth. Teach them the truth regarding God, regarding the law of God. Teach them the gospel of divine grace. Show them their need for a Savior and continue to point them to Christ, again, as the only one who can save them. For again, if your children grow up without an awareness of the need of salvation, then you as a father have failed in your primary task as the spiritual leader of your home. It does not matter how successful you are, or it doesn't matter what your bonus was, doesn't matter where you gone on vacation or how big your car, truck, motorhome, etc. is. If you fail to train up your children or point them towards righteousness, then you failed in your primary task as the spiritual leader of your home. It's got to be a high priority. We've got to teach our kids to understand their need of Christ. And again, if we're going to do that, they're probably not going to get it the first time. So again, it has to be something that's repeated over and over again. Every opportunity of discipline, every point of discipline is an opportunity to share the gospel. We need to be faithful to that task. So you've got to start teaching them as soon as you can from the moment they come out of the womb. Your little kids can understand. Babies understand more than you think they do. When I see a little baby screaming in rebellion, I think that parent doesn't understand. That sin being uh, coming out of that little kid's heart. No, it's such a cute... No, it's a little ball of sin. <laughs> rebellion. It's bound up in the heart. It needs to be addressed. Teach them the truth. Teach them the truth. Plead with them. Teach them, again, what it means to be a genuine follower of Christ. Right? And then point them to Christ and then pray for them. Because regeneration is something that God does. Right? We can't regenerate our kids. We can't get our kids saved. I I beg of you, just drop this whole accept Jesus mindset. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard well-meaning parents come up and say, well, little Johnny's two and he just accepted Jesus. Little Johnny, at two-year-old, has no concept of personal sin. He may have said something that you wanted to hear because you're pushing him, but he doesn't have a, come to a personal knowledge of rebellion, his personal rebellion against God and seeing his need for a Savior. I'm not interested in, in them accepting Jesus. I'm interested in general, uh, genuine repentance. Teach him that. Teach him what it means to be a follower of Christ and plead with him. Plead with him. Pray like you've never prayed. And then trust God. Trust God, because again, regeneration is only something that God can do. It's God's sovereign work in the heart of your child that draws him to himself. Remember what Christ said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's the person of God who saves, who brings regenerating grace, right? who works in the hearts of our kids. We just point them to Christ, tell them about the truth, and then pray for them. Because God is the one alone who awakens the dead. Look, the stakes are high, are they not? The eternal destinies of our children in the balance. We've got to give this issue some thought and continue to think about it. Right? Teaching them that instruction, the discipline of the Lord, has to be the foremost emphasis in our lives. Right? That's the, the truth. Those are the things we need to come away with tonight.
And if we're going to do that, if we're going to not provoke your children to anger, if you're going to bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord, if you're going to do that successfully as a father, then you do that not only by teaching them the truth and pointing them the truth, but you've got to do that by your behavior, by your conduct, by your example. Your kids who are getting older need to realize that you too are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Your kids need to realize that Christ is the head of your home and he's the one who you follow. And you lead your home in that truth with Christ as the head. And you lead your life and your home in the atmosphere of Christ-like love. right? Because again, that's the fruit of the Spirit. right? Love, joy, peace, patience. right? And again, if, if men are going to be successful in this endeavor, then our kids are going to have to see when they start becoming aware of these things that our life is different from the world around us, from the unbelieving world. If our profession of faith is just our lips but not our life, if our life looks like the unbelieving world around us, we're going to end up doing great spiritual harm. Because I tell you what, sure as the world, kids can pick out a hypocrite. Right? You might not think they can, but I guarantee you they can pick out a hypocrite. Your life better match up to what you're professing to your kid. So again, the command is as the Lord has given, is to bring your children up, fathers, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're just thankful for this day of fellowship. What a wonderful day. Thanks for the truth of your word. Thanks for both morning and evening. Thank you for the truth of Kids for Truth and for the people who are involved in that and just encouraging our families and our children. Again, we all realize it's not their responsibility to train up our children but they uh, come alongside, they help us train them up. So help us to be diligent in that manner. Help us to love our kids, to love you more, but then to continue to point them to you and to Christ so they might see the glorious Savior and the tremendous love that you have for mankind. Again, we're thankful for Thomas and Caitlin being here, and we thankful for the testimonies we heard in baptism. We're thankful, thankful for just a wonderful day of worship towards you. Now we pray your blessing. On our time of fellowship, we are going to enjoy here just in a few moments in advance. I'm going to thank you for the food that you have provided for us. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the food's going to show up about 6, uh, 7.30. So um, make sure that you're out there. And men, whoever are helping set that up, you're out there uh, to help uh, set up the tables and chairs, etc. And then Thomas, tomorrow, 7 p.m., right in the room right behind me. All right.